Welcome to episode seven of the Your Debt-Free Degree podcast. In today's conversation, I speak with Jason Brown, who got his bachelor's as well as his master's degree debt-free. He is a master when it comes to helping others get a debt-free degree, so much so that he wrote a book about it called It Is Possible, How I Earned Two Debt-Free Degrees and How You Can Too. During this conversation, we walk through his debt-free degrees, but we go over a lot of valuable information that you can apply to help you get your very own debt-free degree without further ado introducing jason brown here we go thank you so much for joining us jason for the your debt free degree podcast super excited to have you you are the first that will have get a debt free undergrad as well as a debt free masters but before we walk through that I want to go down memory lane with you <laughs> i i saw as part of your story some employment but Looking back at the jobs that you had in college or high school, what was the most interesting for you? That's a tough question because I had so many part-time jobs. <laughs> when I, I started working when I was 15 years old, bagging groceries at Kroger the day I turned 15. But I would say one of the coolest jobs I probably had because back then I, I wanted to become a sports broadcaster. So I actually started working with the athletic department for the university I was going to school at. And I, I started out as kind of like a volunteer student yeah. assistant, but I actually became like the stats guy and running the scoreboards for all the games. And I actually, the coolest part was I actually got to start traveling traveling with the teams. So I traveled with the baseball team and the softball team. And at the time we didn't have football, but we do now, but baseball and softball were two of the biggest sports. And of course, basketball, men's and women's basketball. So I traveled with all those teams and got to keep stats and help, you know, whatever, run scoreboards or stuff like that. So that was kind of a cool opportunity for a young college kid to do and just kind of see how, you know, kind of what it would be like if, if I was ever fortunate to be, you know, a, a college athlete, because you, you know, you're, you're on the bus with, <laughs> them. You know, they're taking you to McDonald's. They're giving you five bucks to eat. Yeah. Those were the days. So that was, that was probably the most entertaining or or interesting job that I have that I can think of off the top of my head. Was there, was there another one that you saw that uh, on my resume that stuck out? I saw the stats thing. You did stats work for the, the Braves. I did. Yeah. The World Series champion now, Braves. Yeah, that was a job I got, I guess, some some years after college. I worked for, it actually was for MLB.com. I was the official statistician for MLB. I did that for five seasons. And my claim to fame is I've scored the longest Atlanta Braves game in <laughs> franchise history. It was a 19-inning game that, oh God, I can't God. even remember how many hours that was. I probably got home at 2 or 3 in the morning that night. Uh, I don't even remember how, because I, I remember at the end of that game, I went to my supervisor and I said, I want to be paid for two game checks because because a game, each game is a nine inning game. I did a 19 inning game. That's over two games. And he, <laughs> agree, he agreed. He's like, yeah, he's like, we'll give you two game checks for that. I was like, okay. So yeah, that was a cool gig as well. Unfortunately, I wasn't working there during the time that they, you know, won any playoff or world series uh, rings, but that was my goal was to like, how cool would it be to, to be able ring. to score a world series? But I wasn't there during that window, but it was still, that was a really cool gig though, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I didn't even realize the whole traveling thing, too, like that you got to follow the team. I would have been a shoe in for something like that because I was also not a college college (laughs) athlete, but we can dream. Right. Mm -hmm. So interesting job. You clearly worked during college, which is a a big piece that I tell people about a debt free degree. And I know that's something that you talked about in in your books as well. But 
before we go into the actual how you did it, I want to understand better what actually led you to saying, I want to get a debt-free degree, because that's so countercultural to the message that students are being fed today. Here's the thing. I was raised to hate debt. My parents were very, you know, frugal, fiscally responsible. I never... I never grew up watching any of my parents go out and spin frivolously. Like there, there wasn't a day where my dad came home with a new $30,000 car or my mom was like, Hey, we're going on a, you know, a Hawaii cruise next week. <laughs> there, there was no, that we didn't live that kind of lifestyle. We lived a very simple lifestyle. So, so for me, I, I was just raised under the mindset of if you can't afford it, you can't, you can't buy it. You can't do yeah. it. So that, that's just how it was. I mean, and that was modeled by my parents really through their actions, not necessarily through their words. They never really, you know, but what my mom, what did happen to me was, you know, the day I turned 15 was when I was able to legally work. So when I was allowed to legally work, my parents came to me and they said, you know what, you can work now and make money on your own. And now, you know, now that you're able to do that, you, you're responsible for yourself, basically. Like if you want a car, you got to go work and, and buy your own car. So that's what I did. I, I started, I, like I mentioned a second ago, my first job was bagging groceries at Kroger. I did that. I remember I was making minimum wage at the time was $3.85. And of course we, we, were, we made tips too when we took people's groceries out. But, but yeah, I just, that was the first thing I saved up for. I wanted a car. So I saved up for a car, bought my first car with cash. I think I paid about $3,000 for it. Oh, Honda Accord. <laughs> broke down every weekend. Me and my dad were always working on it. But yeah, that that's kind of what led to the college. So for me, it wasn't that like, I didn't go to college with this sole mindset of I'm going to get a debt-free degree. I just went to college with the mindset of I have to pay for this. And through college, I worked three, consistently, I worked three part-time jobs all the way through college. So, so that was really, it, you know, for me, debt was not an option. It was never really a thought. It wasn't a mindset. Debt was not a mindset for me. I guess and, that's probably the best way to say it. Yeah. And I love how your parents set that up for you at a young age. Like they, they took debt off the table, which it's hard having conversations with high school seniors and them already being in the mindset, like I'm going to go to this dream school uh, and I'm going to take out loans to do it. And then trying to tell them to get a debt free degree when the pie is already baked. But right, for you, yeah. it was like that initial freshman year early on that you said this is a goal and you had time to to really pursue it right so that's true before then or well after that point when you were starting to look at colleges and uh, where you wanted to go Mm -hmm. what was that process like yeah yeah so that's that's a great question too and really that I had Dave, I had one option. Okay. My one option was to go to a school called Kennesaw state university and that school is located. I'm in the Atlanta area. So that school is about 20 miles North of Atlanta. If you're familiar with that region. And it was at the time, it was a small commuter school there were no on-campus dorms or apartments, very small school. It had about an enrollment of about 13,000 at the time it was a college. It later became a university. It's a massive school. Now it has over 45,000 enrollment. Oh, I think it's God. really blown. It's really blown up over the last 20 years. But when I went there, it was strictly, they called it PC peers. We were PC peers, parking lot, classroom, parking lot. <laughs> so, so that's what we all were. We drove to school, went to class, drove home. So I lived at home. I will say the other three 
you know, when you're in high school here, everyone's dream was to go to, you know, mm-hmm. University of Georgia with UGA. Yep. Of course, they're famous now. They just won the football national championship. Everyone's talking about them. Now, UGA is in Athens, Georgia, which is probably a good hour to hour and a half drive from the Atlanta area. So that's a little bit, you know, on the outskirts. That's a massive school too. Now, downtown, there's two big name schools. There's Georgia State University, which is actually the biggest school in the state. If you go by enrollment, I want to say they probably have over 50,000 enrollment. That's a massive school. Now, the problem with Georgia State was I had a lot of friends that went there and it was because it's in downtown. All I ever heard was was complaints about traffic, complaints about parking, having to park in parking decks. You know, I can't find my, you know, my my class because I'm, you know, late because I'm trying to park. So, you know, there was that. And then the other one downtown is Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is very prestigious and and well-known brand and well-known school. It's a historic school. It is. Uh, it's also in the heart of downtown, so you have to deal with traffic issues. But Georgia Tech is, you know, I, I'm not smart enough for Georgia Tech. The Georgia Tech, I actually had a lot of friends that went to Georgia Tech, and they all failed out. So you oh, have man. to be very focused, very determined, very structured to, to make it through a school like Georgia Tech. So those are really probably my four options. But really, for me, the only option was, was good to go to Kennesaw State because it was so tremendously less expensive. than all of those other schools. That was really the only school that I could afford to to pay for was Kennesaw State. And and I am truly thankful for the opportunity that I had to go there and get a valuable education at a much cheaper rate than some of these bigger brand name schools. You brought up some interesting points that I don't think a lot of people think about because Obviously, the dollar amount there was cheaper, but then you brought up things like just the convenience of parking, the am I going to to get through this type things to consider, which all is involved in the actual true cost of college, because the, the true cost is not just the sticker amount. It's getting to school, all the all the other things. And huh, very, very interesting. Would you say then that the living at home and having that parking lot classroom parking lot, as you called it, impacted your experience? I don't think so because I was, you know, rarely at home. I did have, I was talking about the jobs I had. So I had two, I had three part-time jobs all at the same time going through school. And that did affect my grade point average, by the way. So I will admit that what I did was I had two on-campus jobs. I worked as a sports editor for the student newspaper. I was really into sports and journalism and wanting to get into broadcasting and stuff. So I did that. And then I had another job with athletics, which I mentioned a a minute ago. So I I had those two on-campus jobs. And then there was actually a retail mall right across the street from the school. So I got a retail job at at like a sporting goods store, sporting gear, sporting athletic apparel. There was one of those little cool sports stores. So I worked there as a, as a, as a retail position and that was super convenient too. Cause it was just right across the street. So that whole, you know, Kennesaw state campus area, that was my world. Like I was working my jobs there or across the street, you know, I was rarely at home. I got involved uh, in, in a lot of campus activities, probably after a couple years, I didn't really do much, but then I started getting more and more involved with, you know, the journalism, the news student newspaper with the athletic department, stuff like that. And uh, that was extremely beneficial for me. And and I was able to meet and network with a lot of people uh, that were uh, very, very helpful to me. Wow. And that's a lot to balance. I'm sure multiple jobs as well as going to class. Yeah. I will say because of, you know, my mindset, like we were talking about. So I, 
I did, you know, kind of a pay as you go and, and I didn't go to school unless I could afford to pay it. So, so back then, David, you know, I'm so old, I'm so <laughs> old that we were on the quarter system back in my uh, undergrad days. So, so I would go most of the time I went part-time. I would take one or two classes at a time because that's all I could afford. So what happened was I, I was going year round. I went to summer school three years in a row. I went to, I went to school year round for three straight years and it still took me almost six years to graduate, but I graduated debt-free because I just paid for what I could at the time. That's a good way to walk through it too. Cause even though you may have delayed yourself two years right. and I say delayed in the sense that Others might look and say, oh, he was in college an extra two years compared to four. But even so, you're not dealing with the effects of that time at this point in your life, which is much easier to actually go through with now at this point, not having to right. work with student loans and such. And, and it is it's really when you look at the statistics, it's extremely rare for someone to graduate in four years. I want to say yeah. most people are going to take five to six years to graduate for for a variety of reasons. If it's finances or if it's, you know, a case where I need this one class and it's only offered once a year and then you have have to you know take a semester off to wait for this one class so I can graduate. I've heard so many stories like that happen to people that have delayed them. So there's a variety of reasons that that might delay. For me, you know, I also went through some health issues during that time. That's, that's actually another reason why I probably went down to part-time during some of those years where I, I was struggling with uh, some health issues as well. So that delayed me as well. So there, it, it could be a variety of reasons why people don't graduate in four years. No, and that's a good point that students shouldn't necessarily have the pressure to graduate in four years because the the college journey is riddled with a lot of speed bumps roadblocks whatever else life may throw at you and when you're on your own for the for the first time maybe or having to deal with these expenses it's not always the easiest to just keep pushing on so you have to know your limits which it sounds like you did after then the debt-free bachelor's degree you didn't stop there (laughs) <laughs> and I'm always curious to ask this question because I'm trying to rationalize, like, why would I want to go back? And you went back to get a debt free master's degree. What prompted you to pursue that next level in education? I had been out of school for about 15 years. And what happened was I actually went back and worked for my alma mater. I worked for Kennesaw State. I I got a a marketing role. It was a copywriter, copy editor position. So when I was going through the interview process there, one of the hiring managers mentioned, hey, you know, if you if you become an employee here, you would have the opportunity to pursue any extra degrees or any education for free because the school would pay for it. And I said, Oh, okay. You know, I never really, you know, I just kind of filed that away. I didn't really think twice about it. I was like, Oh, that's, you know, that's interesting because there wasn't really anything I was interested in doing at the time, as far as an advanced degree. And then once I got into the, once I got the job and I, I actually connected with somebody in the graduate admissions office and really the only thing at the, you know, at the time, the, the big popular degree is the MBA. Everybody goes back and gets yep. their MBA. MBA is a big popular one. And I, that wasn't really my cup of tea, but I was talking to a, a friend from the graduate admissions office. He said, you know what, Jason, you, we have a master's in professional writing. 
that would be perfect for you. I said, we do. I said, I didn't even know. I had no idea we offered that. So he gave me a bunch of information on it. He says, Hey, you should really look into this because you, you would qualify for the TAP program, which stands for tuition assistance program that the school, the school would basically pay for all your tuition. And then the only thing I would have to pay for would be books or any other incidentals uh, that would be out of my pocket. So I said, okay. So I actually thought about it for an entire year. I thought about, you know, sh because, because A, I didn't know the value of that degree. Is this degree going to help me? Is this degree going to help me get uh, a higher paying job or, or a raise or a promotion or, or something like that? There, there, there were a lot of unknowns. So the thing is, is that I, th there's two barriers when we're talking about, we're talking about a financial barrier and a time commitment barrier. So I had the financial barrier removed, yep. but I still had time. to commit to the time, which mean in grad school, I would be working a full-time job and then I would be going to class at 6.30 to almost 10 o'clock at night. And you would take two classes at a time. So you would go, each class is once a week. So if you're taking two classes per semester, you'd be going to class two nights a week, but it's tough. I mean, you get home at 11 o'clock at night, you're eating dinner at 11 o'clock, and then you got to get back up and go to work the next day. So I would have to do that for two to three years. That's a big, yeah. big decision. So I thought about that for an entire year and I decided I would regret not at least trying for it, not yeah. at least going for it. So, so I went ahead and applied and I took the, took a year to, to prepare for the GRE I had to take, to, take oh. all these <laughs> test prep exams. You got to take the GRE and, and uh, get ready for that. So I, I went ahead and, and, and did it and the school paid for the majority of the, or oh, they paid for all the tuition. And, and I also, so even though the tuition was paid for, I still applied for scholarships ah. and I earned scholarships and I earned two small scholarships for about $1,500 total, which paid for the books more than paid for any books that I needed. So I actually, at the end of the day, I actually made money going to grad school. That's really cool. Cause the other folks that I've talked to that are, would be considered out of the normal college age realm. Whenever I talk to them about their debt-free degrees, they tend to not bring up scholarships or if I ask it's they applied for some but didn't get any so this is proof that it's possible you can still get those scholarships and you can use them for more than just the tuition were those through the school private scholarships or where did you find those one of them was through the school it was it was an employee-based you know, it was like if you're an employee going to school using the TAP program, it was it was a yearly. So they they gave it was a five hundred dollar scholarship and they gave that away each year. So the first year I applied, I didn't get it. So okay. guess what? I tried again Try again and I got it the second time and they gave those away to uh, probably about a, a dozen. There were like like a dozen winners on those. And then the other one was a, a continuing education scholarship. So at the time I was working in the, the College of Continuing Education at my school. So you had to be an employee of that college to qualify for that one. And that one was a thousand dollar scholarship uh, that I received. Awesome. And. Were people around you taking advantage of this as well that worked there or was it pretty rare for someone to actually go through with the free, ma well, pretty much free master's degree? Oh, you're talking about the tuition reimbursement? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good question. And I, surprisingly, no. 
I was really surprised. I mean, now, now I did have some coworkers that were, I mean, you know, maybe a small handful of that were going to, you know, one of my coworkers got, got her MBA. One of them actually, my supervisor actually tried to get her PhD and it was too much. She couldn't do it. It was too much for her. She had to drop out. But, but there were a couple other coworkers that, that, that I knew of that, that went and either finished their bachelor's or went back and maybe got a master's or something. But there were a lot of people that I talked to that, had opportunities to do that. And for whatever reason, I said, Hey, you know, this is a golden opportunity. You need to take advantage of it. Cause you know, we're not all going to be working here forever. This is an, an opportunity that you should definitely consider because you know, it's better than paying for it. That's interesting to hear. I, my day jobs in the employee benefits space. So I get to see this and see how people utilize it. And I'm always Curious of the the why behind it. It sounds definitely like that time and commitment barrier are the the biggest things. But you saw yeah. that this was like a platinum level benefit, basically getting it for free. The mindset was for me. The mindset was, you know, this is just temporary. It's a temporary commitment. It, it's two. To, it was a two year program. It took me three years because of the pace I went on, and. I got really good advice from the program director. He says, you've been out of school for so long. Why don't you start your first semester by just taking one class just to kind of ease your way into it? And that was probably the best advice I ever got. Just take one class of first semester, ease your way into the program. You'll get used to the, the lifestyle change. And, and it was a change of lifestyle, a big time. <laughs> and, uh, but that was good. And, 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 and the whole time I was in there, I was like, you know, this is, this is temporary. It's tough, but it's temporary. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get out of it. And it's going to be over before I know it. Yeah. That was my mentality. And then you did it. You made it happen. Yeah, Debt-free master's degree and debt-free undergrad. And now at this point, you're an expert in the space. You've, <laughs> you've written books about it. So what tactics or things do you recommend to students who are also looking to pursue this? What's the the framework that you walk them through? The, the best answer to this is there's so many different ways yeah. to obtain a debt-free degree. And, and you will most likely be using multiple resources to do this. Now, obviously, the first thing is if you can work, do it, even if it's a part-time job and you're working 20 hours a week, any income that you can make will tremendously either help you eliminate debt or lower the debt tremendously that you might have to take out. Now, here's here's an idea that in the past, you've heard people taking a gap year, but a gap year from, from those people would be, I'm taking a gap year so I can go travel abroad and I can, so I can go <laughs> find myself. And, you know, I'm just going to take a year off and just, you know, kick it with my friends. But this gap year that I'm talking about, there's no shame in taking a gap year to work. Why don't you yeah. take a gap year and work two or three jobs and aggressively save money? Maybe if your parents will, will let you, you know, still live with them for an extra year or whatever, yeah. and you have no expenses and work a couple jobs and, and save money because guess what? You'd rather do that. You'd rather work your butt off for one year than have to work your butt off for 20 to 30 years paying off student loan debt after yes. you get out of college. That's how I look at it. That's why I try to tell people, yeah, it's a sacrifice, but which sacrifice would you rather do one year or 20 to 30 to 40 years, you know? So that's an idea. Also there, there's a lot of jobs on. So this is a big trend. Now we're seeing a lot of employers offer tuition reimbursement programs 
And actually, I used that for my, I actually changed jobs. And during my master's, I, I took a job in the private sector and I finished my master's, my current job. They have a tuition reimbursement program. So they paid yeah. for the rest of my school. So that's how that works. But you see this in the news. This is kind of trending in the news now. You see all the big companies get the headlines. I know Target recently did it. You'll see Publix, Starbucks, all the all these big name companies that are now offering tuition reimbursement to all their employees. So this is kind of a trending thing that we're seeing in our society, which is really, really good to see. Uh, it's long overdue. So I would say if you're in the job market or, or if you're looking for maybe your first job or or if you're a high school student, you're going to go to college and you're looking for, you know, hey, I need to work. Look, make sure that's the first benefit you need to look for on their on their website. Yeah. Go to their benefits page and see if they offer a tuition reimbursement program. And if you don't see it, just call their HR office. Because a lot of times some of these companies, they don't really advertise it that well. Oh. Or it might be like a case by case thing. And you can just call them up and say, hey, can do you guys offer tuition reimbursement? And, and a lot of times they will. They will. So do that. Another idea is a lot of jobs on campus, they will offer a, a stipend as well as a tuition waiver. So there's a lot of jobs that, you know, they might be research based or whatever. There's lots of different opportunities that you could find that that are most most of them are part time. They're around 20 hours a week. And, and you're not going to make a lot of money in those. Though. They might give you like a twenty five hundred dollar stipend for an entire semester, but they're going to give you a tuition waiver. So what's the value of that? Like How much is yeah. that going to save you? So there's opportunities like that to look for. And of course, we talked about scholarships. You know, any scholarship, apply for every scholarship and grant you can. It just that's kind of a numbers game. So the more you apply for, you know, even if it's you know, people shy away, like, you know, I, I applied for that $500 scholarship. There's plenty of people who are like, yeah, you know, that's, that's <laughs> not really going to help me. You know, 500 bucks, that's nothing. But what if you got 10 $500 or what if you got $10,000 scholarships? They all add up and they're all going to help. So even yeah. some of the smaller ones, you, you know, people might shy away from, but you should still go for them because guess what? There might be less people applying for those. So you might have a better chance of getting those than the $25,000 scholarship that you, you know, you get the, your eyes light up. Oh, I need, yeah, that's the one I need, but there's going to be greater competition for those higher scholarship ones than the thousand dollar or the $2,500 one. Now, let me tell you about this one. This one's really interesting. Are you familiar with uh, the dual enrollment program? Do they have that in your state? Have you heard of this? Dual enrollment. So that's basically high schooler starts taking college credits mm -hmm. in high school and then it's paid for from what I understand. And to answer your question, my high school did not <laughs> offer that. But once I found out about that, I was like, can we just backtrack a couple of years and then let yeah. me do some of these? Because no, uh, yeah, go now, ahead. Now, I have a funny story about this. This is, uh, this is how I found out about the dual enrollment. I'm sitting, I'm 40 years old, sitting in, <laughs> in grad school. Yeah, 40 years old, sitting in a, I'm in a creative writing class in my master's program. And here's this. 17 year old kid oh sitting next to me in class. And, and I just start talking to him, introduce myself, you know, and then I come to find out he's 17 years old and he goes to a local high school. And I turned to him, I'm like, how are you here? Like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm in this. He starts explaining to me. He says, oh, I'm in this dual enrollment program. And and he starts telling me all about it. And I, of course, I'm asking him like a million questions because I've got a two year old son at the time. And I'm like, how do I sign him up for this? So from what I understand, each state, it's a little bit different. So I'm yeah. in Georgia. So it's the way that he explained to me that. So he had actually graduated a semester early. So he, this, he was in his last semester of high school and he was just taking college 
college courses for his last semester of high school. And he was actually going to go on that fall. He was going to go to the University of Alabama. And I think he was going to study engineering, if I remember correctly. But he was going to actually start school as a sophomore. So he would wow. actually have so he would have his entire first year paid for by the state. They cover all expenses, books, tuition, everything. And then he would actually have one. He would be one year ahead of all of his peers. So so that's a double whammy. He's got the financial barrier removed and he's got the time barrier removed. He shaved one year of time off of his college uh, potential expenses, as well as the money that he would have paid. So he's telling me this. I'm probably, you know, furiously writing down <laughs> notes and calling my wife and telling her, hey, we got to get our son signed up for this. <laughs> he's, he was two at the time. I was like, we got to get our kids signed up for this, man. This is unbelievable. And I was like, are there any, you know, stipulations to apply for this? Do you have to have a certain GPA or anything? Do you have to have like a 4.0? He says, no, no, you, you, there's no real requirements. I mean, you just have to kind of plan ahead a little bit. You know, if, if you if you take some extra classes, maybe try to graduate early or, or even I don't even think you have to graduate a semester early. I think you can just take classes at night. There's a there you could do it that way, too. You could go to high school during the day and then he, he, he could go because my class was a night class. And then you yeah. could go on to the university, take some some of the night classes and you could do it that way as well. So that was a that's a tremendous money saving and time saving opportunity. That's amazing. I can. I can just imagine that playing out. You sitting next. To me. <laughs> like, what? You're 17. What are you doing? My, oh. my mind was blown when he was telling me this. I was like, "What?" <laughs> so that was that was a really cool discovery for sure. That's awesome. So I want to loop back on the the job tuition reimbursement discussion yeah. because. I think exactly like you said, that's something that's not advertised well and people just don't understand. And one thing that I've realized is that some of these positions will also pay you to study on the clock or, or take your classes from from what I understand. Do you by chance have any examples of tuition reimbursement stuff that you've come across that or how people could start looking for that? You're talking about for an employee, like for a business, for a company? Yeah. Like yeah. in the private sector? Or are you talking yep. about like a, a university? Private sector. Because university, oh, okay. it's fairly common, yeah. right? If yeah. you work for a university, you... They'll, yeah, they'll waive your tuition. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that specific of what you were asking if, with, if they do, like if they let you study on the clock. But but I know th that the way that, you know, like, like at my current job, it's just basically... You, you apply, it's like a one sheet application and all they ask you for is, well, you have to maintain a C average, which yeah. you, know, you should be able to do, especially if you're in a master's program, that's expected. <laughs> so you have to give them your, at the end of the semester, you just turn in your receipts and you turn in your, your report card and that's it. And then they, they, they do a direct deposit and they give you the money back. So I'm sure each company handles that a little bit differently. They might have different requirements. Um, some might not even have a grade requirement like mine did, but, but this is something that I'm sure what you were asking about, I'm sure there are companies that will do that. They will kind of let you take some, some work company time to, yeah. to study, especially now they, now my company will do that if it's related to your specific oh, job. Okay. Like for example, I'm a writer. So, so I'm a writer, I have a writing and editing position. So the fact that I was taking a professional writing program, they're going to be okay with that. Cause they know that that's going to also strengthen my, my job skills and help the company in what I do for them. So it's kind of a win-win all the way around. In that case, I would go to my supervisor and say, hey, is it okay if I, whatever, if I work 
two to four hours a week on my homework or on my class studies. And they'll say, okay, just make sure you, you note that on your time card or whatever. And most of the time they're going to be very accommodating to that, especially if it's something related to your, your specific role at the, at that job. Interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. And I think something that people just have to go into the job search looking for and then try to understand how that would actually play into their role. You, you gave a lot of good options for paying. And I want to reiterate <laughs> one big thing you said that everyone's yeah. story will look different with options, but for paying is one side of it. Were there any things that you did or recommend for saving as a college? Okay. Let's see how to save money while you're in college. There's lots of ways that you could save. The first, if you make one decision, the, the best decision you can make, <clears throat> excuse me, the best decision you can make to save money is to stay in state and to go to a public school. You will save tens of thousands of dollars. And I've had so many of my friends come to me and say, Jason, if I would have just stayed in state and gone to public school, my student loan debt would be half of what it is right now. <laughs> and they all wanted to go to the prestigious school out of state, go, you know, and live in a city like Chicago or somewhere where the cost of living is high. So that's probably one of the biggest decisions you can do to make or to save money. Now, this won't be the case for everybody, but if you can live at home and if you have gracious parents like I did and let you live at home, because that's going to save the, the cost of living, your living expenses are most likely going to be higher than your tuition cost, your education cost. So that's where you into a lot of trouble taking out all these loans to pay for your living expenses. So if you can live at home, if you can go to school, you know, in your area, in your region that you can drive to school and live at home, that'll save you a lot of money. Now, here's a couple other ideas, maximizing campus amenities. So what do I mean by that? Ah. So, so let's talk about that for a second. So for example, you pay when you go to school, you, you really should look at your itemized breakdown of where all the money's going to, like your tuition, because you have all these fees. You're paying for like a student activity fee. You're paying for athletics. You're paying for parking. You're paying for all these different fees that it gets broken out to. So do you really need to be paying LA Fitness $50 a month when you can just go to the fitness center on campus? that yeah. you've already paid for or already are paying for. And by the way, it's convenient because you're already there. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, there, there's so many things like that that you can save money on that you might not even realize that you could save money on. And then, you know, another thing, you know, the library. There's so many resources at a campus library that you might not realize. They, they, they're they going to give you access to all types of different software programs that you don't have to go pay for, access to printers, computers, all that stuff. Check out like the student, the student center, the student activity center. There's so many uh, things that you can find out through the student activity center that, that they op they offer as amenities that you might not even know about and you might be paying for elsewhere so that kind of leads into my next one i have you know when you're in college you have your student id and guess what you can oh. do with your student id you get your student discounts <laughs> now this is like really for off campus so a lot of restaurants especially in the in the town that the college is in all the restaurants in the area are going to give you a student ID, all the retail stores, different services, movie theaters, entertainment related stuff. And, and if you're not sure, just always ask, like, hey, do you guys offer a student discount? Show them, you know, restaurants might offer anywhere between 10 and 25 percent. Um, sometimes it's on a specific day. I remember O'Charlie's in Kennesaw would give you 25 percent off on Thursdays. I mean, that's, oh, that's a pretty awesome. good deal. 
pretty good deal. We, you know, so it was packed on Thursdays, all the students were in there. So there's, there's opportunities like that. Now that, that kind of leads into my next one. This is the one that I had, I had this one down to a science and it's attending events with free food. on campus. <laughs> yeah. So how, so, so how do you get starving college students to come to your event on campus? You offer free food every time. So yes. there's so many, there's so many events going on on campus that have free food that you might not even know about. Now, here's the thing about food. Food is one of the top three expenses that we're going to have in our lives. You're going to have housing, transportation, food. Those are your top three expenses. If you can start cutting down some of the food costs, so you can go to uh, all these different campus events. Hey, we're doing something on the campus green. We're having a cookout. We got free hot dogs and hamburgers. Hey, come, come to this event. We got free pizza, blah, blah, blah. I had this down to a science and you can find out that they put flyers on campus, social media. They're going to, you get the emails from the student listserv say, Hey, we've got a campus event. Come by and, you know, free food or whatever. Just go. I'm telling you, don't, you know, don't, don't feel like you're being frugal or being a scavenger because I did it. And here's the thing. Not only are you going to get free food, you're also learning more about the campus. You're learning more about opportunities. You're meeting new friends. You're getting more cultured on campus and, and you, you could get, plugged into an event or, or, you know, a campus organization that you might not even knew existed. And then, you know, that leads to something even better, more beneficial. So there's a lot of perks that could come from just, you know, being a scoundrel and looking for free food, I guess. Yeah, no, these are a lot of great points. And I, as you're going through, I was thinking about ones that related to my college days, going to the activities, we always had gift cards associated with our activities, like random drawings. And I don't know if I had a lucky streak, but <laughs> there was one year, our student activity fee was 125 bucks. And okay. I won over $600 in gift cards. Wow. Like I was, I was just packing them away in my wallet. My wallet was thick, not because of cash, but because of all the random gift cards that we had. And then moving to the library point, I've seen some students actually rent out the books <laughs> that they needed for a class versus buying them, which is not always the most safe route because you might not get the book, but Hey, they saved a fair amount of money. And your discount card point <laughs> was huge because that's not only good for the areas around you, but some of my friends used their ID on trips to get into oh, okay. museums there you go. cheaper, especially overseas. And then the food that that resonated with me so much because yeah. <laughs> I, I attribute my freshman 15 to our activity coordinator on campus. But I remember one week I left our bingo with I think 13, 14 Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And I, <laughs> I continued to eat those for the next like four days. So very much that you can get out with that, that food and save some cash. So loved all of those. The big question I wanted to ask you, and I think a lot of people will be interested to hear, <laughs> especially from someone that has two degrees is, should we avoid this expense? Like, do you think college is a necessity for everyone or what are alternatives that those who are kind of thinking about this, but probably don't need it or just wanting to dip their toe in the water? What are alternatives to pursuing this degree, which comes at a huge cost? Yeah, that's such a good question. It's such a deep question, but obviously, you know, I am pro 
higher education. I have two degrees now. Now, college, when we say college isn't for everyone, I'm talking about traditional college. Now, now I am. I, I think higher education is for everyone, but there's so many ways to get higher education now. And, and we hear all the, the famous people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and <laughs> Ted Turner, all these people, what do they all have in common? None of them have a college degree. So it, it is actually possible to be successful in life without a college degree, but everyone's path is different. And so the point is, is that not everyone's path is to traditional college. And so here's, here's, I was researching for this interview with you and I found some very interesting statistics. I want to drop some on you. Nearly 40% of all high school graduates never go to college, 40%. So the question is, you know, what, what are they doing? Like they're, they're being successful doing something that they're just going into the workforce. You don't really hear about these stories in the media. Like you're not seeing feature stories on this. Like yeah. 40% of all high school students don't go to college. Then consider that 40% of all students who attend college never finish. 40% of all students who start college never finish, which yeah. makes the United States the highest dropout rate of all developed countries in the world, which is absolutely astonishing to me. Wow. So that's the problem with this student loan debt crisis. That's the that's who's hurting, getting hurt the most are the people that start college. They take on all this debt, and for whatever reason, you know, life happens to them, and they they are unable to complete their degree, or they run out of money, whatever it is, and now they have no degree, and they have all this debt. And they don't have an opportunity to oh. maybe get a higher paying job. So those are the people that are that are really hurting the most. So moving on, these next two are really interesting, too. When we talk about is college necessary? These are the two that you really need to consider. The fact that only 27 percent of all college graduates even work in the field related to their major. <laughs> I'm 27 percent. Yeah, there you go. Only 27 percent of college graduates work in the field related to their major. So, you know, how important is it? And then the other one is. Now, this this one is is kind of more of recent times is that 41 percent of recent college graduates work in jobs that don't even require a degree. So you start thinking about some of these statistics. I'm like, you know, why, you know, what's going on here? Like, why are 41 percent of recent college graduates taking jobs? I don't know if you're know, going to work at Starbucks or Costco or what, you know, I know the economy was crazy with the pandemic and jobs were maybe hard to find or whatever. Uh, but now it shouldn't be the case. I think I just heard on the news today that there's 2 million, there's, there's 2 million less workers that there were before the pandemics. And there's, oh. there's plenty of jobs to be had. But so when we think about these statistics and we think about is college, you know, really necessary, I guess you really have to really think, about the path that you're going to take. What, yes. what major are you going to take? You know, what's the ROI of that major? What's the return on investment? What are, what are the potential jobs uh, and, and industries that I can work in? So those are, those are some things that I wanted to throw out there first. Now we want to talk about alternatives to college real quick. There's a lot of alternatives to traditional college. Now, the first one, of course, is going to be community college. Now that's what, what we're talking about getting like a two-year two-year associate degree. Now what what people might not realize is that there's a lot of really good jobs, good paying jobs that you can get with just having an associate degree. Yeah. And the other thing is, guess what? Community college is a fraction of the cost of traditional college. And a lot of times it's, you know, close by, so you can drive there to it, you know, you're going to save money there. And it's smaller classroom sizes. You get more one-on-one -on -one with the instructors. 
And uh, so that's an option. Of course, the other thing, now that we live in this, this digital internet world, there's so many more options now because of the internet. Now we have online college, online university, and online school. Now, first of all, not everybody's wired to learn online. Yeah. And, and so we have to understand that it's not everyone's cup of tea. It is a little bit more challenging for most people to, to succeed online. But if you can learn online, online school is a lot cheaper because yes. guess what? You're not having to pay all those extra fees. You don't have to pay athletic fees, student fees, parking fees. You don't have to pay all those extra fees. You're just paying for the cost of the, of the course. So that's going to be a lot less expensive. Now, here's one that I probably is my, the one that I really like to talk about the most is the technical school or trade. It has a couple of different names, technical school, trade school. Yeah. Also, people might refer to it as vocational school. Now, this is where you go and get specific targeted training in a specific you know, course that, that will lead directly to a job. Now, this is really, the, the people that are gonna benefit from this are the ones that know exactly what they're interested in or know what they wanna do. And I know most people just go to college because they, they don't know what they wanna do yet. They're just trying to figure it out. And that's probably the majority <laughs> of all of us. We're still trying to figure out what we wanna do. But if you're interested in like a trade or a craft, you wanna be an electrician or a plumber or, you know, uh, a chef or something like that, or a pilot, you know, all kind of like something specific. You can go to these, these technical training schools and guess what? You can, you can do it. You can get through it in a fraction of the time and a fraction of the cost. And you're going to get, you're going to start out probably making a good salary a couple years ahead of all your peers. So that's a good one. Now, the next one's near and dear to my heart. This is uh, because I used to work in this. Uh, a lot of colleges have continuing and professional education programs. Now this is on the non-credit side. So this oh, is actually okay. kind of similar. This is kind of similar to technical or trade school. So basically what, what it is, is like at Kennesaw state where I worked at, they have a college of professional education. So you would go and take a, uh, they would, it's called a certificate program course. So gotcha. you would go, yeah. So this, this is kind of marketed to what they call the working adult. So most of the students in those programs are students that either never finished high school or went back and got a GED or, you know, had to just go right into the workforce after high school. And then now they want to come back and get some education because now they kind of know what they want to do. But there's lots of really good programs that you can do through continuing or, or professional education that will lead to good jobs. Now, a lot of them are going to be like medical or healthcare related. If you want to be a medical assistant or like a sonographer yeah. or something like that, you can go and get this technical training. If you want to work in the law field, you can get a paralegal certificate. There's all types of other ones. Uh, there's like, you know, computer related to cybersecurity is a big one. Now you can learn IT stuff through these programs. And guess what? These are going to be, again, these are a fraction of the time and a fraction of the cost of going to traditional college. So if you don't have four to six years or you know, however many tens of thousands yeah. of dollars, you can go to one of these programs, get valuable education and, you know, it, put it on your resume and it'll, it'll hopefully lead to a good job. Now, now the next one is apprenticeships. Now apprenticeships wow. are so valuable because you're getting real life on the job training so for example, we had a culinary apprenticeship program at Kennesaw State. And so what, what you would do is these are for students that were interested in like launching their own food truck business or starting a catering <laughs> company, or maybe becoming like a chef at like a really you know fancy restaurant, yeah. something like that. So you would go through this program. And I want to say the program was about a nine month 
you know, it wasn't more than a year. It was about a nine month program and it cost $10,000. So you go through the program, it was classroom based and, and then they would place you in apprenticeships. So they had like a professional kitchen that, that you would work in like on campus. And that was your classroom. Then you, they would place you, it was like a rotation system. So they would place you in different restaurants. It would place you in different catering companies. I think I want to say it was like a six week rotation. So you're getting all this valuable and, and most of the, most of the students ended up getting hired on by one of their places that they, they apprenticed. That's cool. So, so that's so valuable. And so there's lots of different apprenticeships. My sister actually did an apprenticeship at a uh, salon. She, oh, she had okay. no, no yeah. intention of doing this. This is actually a good story. I have this story in my book. So my sister started out just working the front desk at a hair salon, yep. you know, just checking people in. And then the owner said, hey, would you be interested in being my apprentice? And she says, well, you know, I never really thought about that. I didn't know that wasn't available. And, and she never really had any desire to become like a professional hairstylist or makeup artist. But he said, he said, hey, you know, you would apprentice under me. I want to say it was a one to two year program. I can't remember. Somewhere in that range. It was like a one to two year. You basically shadow him. And he, she would still get paid like, what I mean, whatever her part time hourly rate was. And then she would go through this program. And then in the state of Georgia, you have to, you know, go through some board certification stuff and take some testing. And then she did all that and she got her certifications and, you know, now she's a professional, you know, hairstylist, you know, she works out of different salons and she's an independent contractor and stuff like that. So there's lots of different types of, of apprenticeships you can do that will lead to, you know, good, good jobs. So the next one is, is, is a little different, but military. So that's not, obviously the military isn't for everybody, but I know a lot of people who to the military specifically for all the education benefits they have. The military has tremendous education benefits that people might not be aware of. And and I want to say they have like the VA education benefits. There's like the GI bill. There's, there's, there's different ones. Now, some of them will actually pay for your spouse and your kids to go to school. So that's, that's huge. So it's not just for you. It's, it's for your whole family. And, you know, of course, some people make a career out of going to the military and that's cool too. But yeah, I know people that, that literally they go into the military just for those education benefits. So that's something to think about as well. Now, I know we talked about online a second ago, but here's one. I don't know if you've, have you heard of MOOCs? It's a, it's an acronym. You're throwing me for a loop with that one. So no, (laughs) we can research this MOOCs. It's, it stands for massive open online courses. And basically what it is, you've probably heard of it. It's, it's free online learning. So basically from what I understand, this was started by the Ivy league schools like Harvard and Yale, I think are two of the ones that started this. And this is basically an opportunity to explore different uh, educational courses for free to maybe see if there's something you're interested in or see if, you know, Hey, I've always been interested in, you know, digital, you know, marketing or something or, or social media marketing. And let me take this, this class is free. Let me take it and see if this is something that I want to pursue. So there's lots of, so the point is there's lots of free opportunities on the internet. It, yeah. there, there's lots of ways to get education. Yeah. And so, yeah, go ahead. Well, that's a good one too. You like you don't necessarily even need a certificate, a degree, as long as you can somehow prove to the employer that you have the tools in your belt to do the job. That's exactly. the whole purpose of those courses. Because hypothetically, you could take a whole degrees worth of MIT classes by just watching the videos on, on YouTube in a fraction of the time because you can just rocket through those things as long as you prove that you've retained that knowledge. 
Right. And a lot of those programs, they probably will give you like a, a certificate of completion at the end of it or something just to kind of prove that you went through the course and stuff that you, you know, if an employer asked for that, some sort of documentation you should be able to get. Yeah. But uh, the, the last couple of ones that I had on my list were obviously work. You know, college isn't for everyone. And, and the 40 percent of the high schoolers that don't go to college, I'm assuming they're going to work or maybe starting a business or starting a side hustle. So there's just, you know, just go to work. If, you, if you've got a job, yeah. you know, that you can do that, that's obviously see kind of a no brainer thing. But the last one I have is internships and volunteering opportunities. So the internship world has changed so much since I was an undergrad, you know, back in my undergrad date. So, so give some context, I'm 46 years old and I was an undergrad in the mid to late nineties. I graduated in 1998, started in 93. And so internships back then really were kind of infamous. They, they, they kind of had like a stigmatization of, well, A, you never got paid. Oh. And it was free labor and you weren't getting real world experience. You, you would go into an office or something and all you're doing all day is grunt work and you're making copies and getting people coffee and donuts and stuff. And all those <laughs> stereotypes, those are all stereotypes, but they were all true because I experienced a lot of that. And it just, you know, ends up being a waste of time. And, but now so much has changed in the world with the interns are treated so much better than they ever yeah. were. And, and I just look at my own company and, and they have a tremendous internship program where they actually go to colleges and recruit. And it's really, really cool to see. And I actually was talking to, we had an intern in, in my department and I just started talking to her. I was like, Hey, do they pay you? She says, Oh yeah. I said, what are they paying you? She's like 20 bucks an hour. I'm like 20 bucks an hour. <laughs> Sign me up. I was like, Hey, that's unbelievable. I was like, that's great. And, and I want to say it was maybe like a 20 hour a week thing or yeah. something. Some of them might actually, some of them might've been full time if they could, but I'm not really sure on the hours, but, but Hey, they're, they're most of them pay now, which is great. And then the other thing is obviously internships could lead, you know, the networking opportunities that you have, yeah. the, the, you know, it's it huge. could, it could potentially lead to getting hired at the, at the, at the company that you're working at and kind of similar with the volunteering. So, so volunteering, most likely volunteering is, is kind of a non-paid thing. You're going to, Really, the the good example of a volunteer thing is like, hey, I I want to work for Coca Cola. That's my dream job. I want to work for Coca Cola, and so they might not have any openings or to and say, hey, can I? Are there any volunteer opportunities? You come in maybe one or two days a week on you know whatever time that you have available. You can volunteer for a couple hours, but that way you're you're getting your foot in the door. You're meeting the directors, the managers, the hiring managers. You're connecting with people. Your network, all that stuff's invaluable. Like you might think, like, well, they're not paying me anything, so it's not worth my time. But that's not true because you're getting your foot in the door. Guess who's going to be the first person to find out? when they have they have a job opening yep. it's gonna be you because you're on the inside now you're on the inside and and they're gonna say like hey we're about to post this job next week would you be interested in it like oh yeah where do i sign up where how can i apply so you're you know there's there's advantages and benefits for doing that as well so so those are opportunities. These are all, there, there's so many alternatives now yeah. to, to traditional college in our society and culture that, that will allow people to get higher education without going into uh, unnecessary debt. Yeah. The way that I try and boil that down for students is I really want them to think about the big question that you brought up of like, what do I want to do with my life? And that's so hard for someone who's 18 years old. And then through that thought process, once they figure out a destination, they can decide, you know, is college the best option or is one of these alternatives a better, cheaper option to get them 
ultimately where they want to be in life. But that's easier said than done, I know for sure. But it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. You've been a wealth of information, and I definitely want people to know where they can find more. So what's the best way for those that are listening to get connected, get plugged into the resources that you have? And of course, please please mention the books because yeah. you go over a lot of this in your books too. Yeah, I appreciate it, David. Thanks so much for having me on. And it's been a great conversation. I hope people learn. I mean, if you just get one idea from this conversation exactly. that helps you, that's really my goal. But the best place to connect with me is my website. I have all my resources on there. And my website is your marginmatters.com. And there I've written a couple of books. I've written a couple of uh, personal finance related books. And I do have a book that just came out called It Is Possible how I earned two debt-free degrees and how you can too. And, and basically this whole conversation, all the content of this conversation is straight out of my book. The book is is designed to help give people tips and ideas to avoid the dreaded student loan debt because there's really uh, no reason to go into debt to get higher education in our country. It's really just a, it, it, honestly, David, it, it's one of the biggest lies in our society and culture today is, is the lie that says, the only way that you can go to college is to take out debt. And, and yep. that, that, that is a lie that's been perpetuated for a long time. And that's one of the main reasons why I wrote the book. And, and I know that I know this is your mission with this podcast as well. So I really appreciate what you're doing to help get the message out and just really prove to people that, Hey, it can be done. You yep. can do this. Agreed. Agreed. And I will have all those things linked in the show notes for those that are interested. And if you're a parent, grandparent listening, and you're looking for a useful Christmas gift, the book will do just that. It would make great something to give to someone uh, to show them that they can do college differently. Thanks so much for joining us again, Jason, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Jason, for your time, for sharing your story, as well as sharing all the valuable information that others can apply to get their very own debt-free degree. Two major things from our conversation that I want to reiterate. First, your debt-free degree journey will look significantly different than mine, than Jason's, than anyone else that I've interviewed on this podcast. You will try things, you will fail. You will try things, you will work. The key thing is you try things and eventually you figure out where you have to blaze your own trail to make a debt-free degree happen. That pairs nicely with number two. A debt-free degree is not usually one thing, it's a combination of a lot of different efforts. It's not just applying for a couple of scholarships, it's applying for a lot of scholarships, working living at home, taking on that side hustle, living cheaply. It's the combination of things, not just a singular thing that will eventually lead to a debt-free degree. If you're someone that's going through college right now and working on that debt-free degree, I highly recommend that you just go back and listen to this again. Lots of useful tidbits there. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to episode seven. If you found this valuable, find the series valuable, please take a moment to rate us on your platform of choice even more valuable. If you know somebody who's gotten a debt-free degree or if you yourself have gotten a debt-free degree, take a moment to reach out to me. I would love to have you on the podcast. The easiest way to find me, anything about me on the internet is by going to imdavidjwilson.com. I'm davidjwilson.com. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll catch you in the next episode.